This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody. We are in the middle of a series that we've called Your Kingdom Come. Now, if you're not from around here, my name's Kevin, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Vortex, and it is great to have you with us this morning as we continue in this series. If you haven't figured it out yet, we are... Uh, Jesus people. We love Jesus. We believe he is the answer to many of our problems and and that we believe he is God and that he is here. Uh, We believe that the scriptures testify to that and that he was the living embodiment of the scriptures. And so when we come together, it is normal for us to spend a lot of time looking at the scriptures. And so today we're going to do that together as we Think about a prayer that Jesus prayed. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus' disciples, the people that were following him, came to him and said, could you, could you teach us to pray? Could you teach us to pray? Now, most of us pray. I mean, I think I've heard it said, you know, there's, you know, people say there's no prayer in school, but as long as there are math tests in school, there's going to be prayer in school, right? Uh, well, we, we pray. We, we pray stuff like, God, protect, protect my, my family. God, God would, you, would you help me get this job? God, please don't let my kid get his butt whooped at school today. He's been acting a fool for the last few days. Just help him keep it together. But Jesus, when he asks that question, he comes back with this. This then is how you should pray. And he's going to pray a prayer that, if we're honest, is dangerous. It's not the kind of prayer that we pray. It's not the way that we often find ourselves thinking about our lives and our interactions with Jesus. This is such a different perspective on that, on the way that we as people relate with him. It's a prayer that we've come to know as the Lord's Prayer. We pray it all the time. And so I want you to pray this with me, would you? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There is so much in that prayer that is dangerous. That is dangerous to your comfort level. That is dangerous to the way that we want to live. The map that we have plotted out for the trajectory of our lives. There's there's so much about that prayer that is subversive to what we would naturally and culturally want for ourselves. And there's so much that could be said about that, but we're in this series focusing on one line. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This big idea that we live in a kingdom that Jesus is a king 
and that he reigned forever in heaven and then came to earth as a king of a spiritual kingdom. And he tells us in his message that we can live in that kingdom, that eternal life doesn't happen when we graduate and die, that eternal life happens now. And if it happens now, when death comes in our lives, it's just an address change. Our life continues to go on. We just transform over into heaven with Jesus. Your kingdom come. Let it be on earth as it is in heaven. But that idea is so very foreign to us. But it was so real to Jesus. And the first gospel that was written, the first record of Jesus that we have in the New Testament, the gospel of Mark, it was written circa 60 A.D. In that, Jesus, the first thing he says is this, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come. So repent and believe the good news. That word good news is what we translate into the word gospel that Greek word that's there, which means a message of good news. And we, also, we often talk about the, the gospel of Jesus. And then we say that the gospel is a, a gospel of love and forgiveness and grace, but Jesus, if you pay attention to him, Jesus preached a gospel of a kingdom that had come, that we now can participate in. But we don't get this because we live 2,000 years later, and the idea of kingdom is to most of us somewhat foreign. Uh, in, in the first century, not a, they were familiar with kingdom on multiple levels. They lived in the Roman Empire, which was a large kingdom. They lived in several kingdoms that were locally. They got the idea of kingdom. But for us, the question that we should be asking is, what is a kingdom? If Jesus preached that we can be a part of the kingdom of God, then, then what exactly is a kingdom? Here's a simple answer. is that a kingdom belongs to a king. Now, that seems way too simple. I get it, okay? But that's really what it was. It was a portion of land... And everything that was on that land, cities, towns, building, people, products, everything belonged to the king. The kingdom belonged to the king, which is referenced this idea that we live in the kingdom of God, that the, everything that we see, everything that we've ever known, everything that has passed through our hands is not ours but is truly God's, this idea is reflected in Psalm 24, verse 1, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. He's the king. Jesus is the king. And so much of the language that we use is really derived out of this understanding of kings. We, we, we talk about being good stewards of what God has given us and being responsible and steward. That, that word steward literally comes from an understanding of, of kingdom. See, once we realize this, that, that God owns everything, we realize this, that since the everything belongs to him, the king, the king gives away portions of the kingdom to nobles who benefit from that, but then he gives it to them for loyalty 
and to govern. This is how kingdoms worked. So I think probably the easiest way to show you this was to, to draw an illustration. So I thought I, I would find a graphic, but I, I, I found one that is it's, it's horrible, okay? Um, but the, the king in this is so awesome that I had to use it, okay? So here, this is what um, a kingdom really looks like. Look at that king. Isn't that a very kingly pose? Like that, you know. I mean, I don't know if that's how kings. But so, so the way that a king, a king owned everything in the kingdom, and so what he would do is he would break it down into portions and then pass it off to nobles. They're labeled here as barons. Okay, Th- then their responsibility was to take care of it, make sure that in the portion that they controlled, that what the king needed. What the king asked for, the laws that the king implemented, all of that was taken care of in the stuff that was under their control. They realized that this is too much land, and so then they would pass it off to, in this case, knights or to stewards who would then have a certain portion of land that would be their responsibility. And again, everything that was in that area belonged to them. That would be the peasants, the people who did all the work, the land, the animals, everything. Now that is foreign to us. This idea that, that, that what I own really belongs to somebody else. That somebody could walk into my house and take the last Coke Zero and I could be totally mad at it, but it's not my Coke Zero, it's really his. Right? We, we live in a country that has elevated the idea of autonomy and individual to a point that we don't get this. But we do get it. I want you to see how we get it. Look at this. We get it here. In our understanding of the way that a corporation works, the way a company works, an entrepreneur starts a company, and the company begins to grow and grow and grow and grow. And finally, he says, you know what? I cannot anymore. I cannot take all the, I can't do the marketing. I can't do the sales. I can't do the production. So he hires people that then he gives that responsibility away. And they're over it. They're over it. They're over it. And they hire people underneath them, and they have the responsibility. And here's the thing. Everybody who works in a company knows that the CEO can walk into your office and take your pen. You may love that pen. It may be your favorite pen that you've ever owned. But it's his pen because he owns the company. See, we get that. When we started Vortex, Vortex started... In September of 2012, I've had to repent for this many times. I, someone asked me how big you think this could be one day. I said, I mean, maybe 300 people. Maybe <laughs> apparently God had better and bigger ideas than me, okay? So along the way, we're, we're, we're closing in on 1,000 people who have given their lives to Jesus through this. This is amazing. But along the way, it, it, it's grown to a point where I said, I, I, can't, take, I can't take kids ministry. I, I, need, I need to give this away. I need, I need somebody here. I, I can't, I can't, you know what, production, I can't produce the services anymore. I need someone to take care of this. You know what, I, I need someone to take care of the bookkeeping. Can you do this? I need, I need all just given, given authority away, given authority away, given authority away. I need you to take care of this. And really, if we think about our understanding of kingdom, that's how we think about it. That it became too much for someone 
king couldn't manage all the land, so he gave it away. But obviously that's not the truth for Jesus. God is much bigger and, and has a greater capacity than any of us, so he doesn't give to us. He doesn't install a kingdom because he needs our help. Here's the big idea for today. I want you to see this because if we can get a hold of this, if we can get a hold of this, this would change everything. And I don't mean like little tweaks on your life. I mean like literally this could change everything. There could be people in here who change careers. There could be people in here who start to foster kids. There could be people in here who start to change their their future plans, who start to rethink the way that they do finances because this is, is the message of the gospel. Look at this. Here's the big idea. That God gives to us so that we can participate in building the kingdom. Oh, God could do it by himself. He did it with Abraham. Spoke to him through the stars in the sky. He doesn't need you, but he wants you, and he wants it for you so that you can... Feel what it's like. Experience what it's like to be used as a part of something that's bigger than you. God wants to use you. And so he gives to us so that we can participate in building the kingdom. See, I think that sometimes we, we think about Jesus and we think about what he wants from us. But, but God, God is such a giving God, he's such a giving king. James 1.17 says this, that every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good and perfect gift is from above, which means that if you have a good gift in your life, whether it be a possession or a friendship or a relationship or a kid, that it didn't come because you earned it or deserved it. It came because God gave it to you. Every good and perfect gift is from above. John 1, 6, now, now think about this in light of, of what we understand about king, that God owns everything, that as king he is, has authority. Or Look at what John 1, verse 16 says. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. Out of his abundance. I love the way. One translation put this, out of his glorious riches, we have experienced grace on top of grace. And then Philippians 4.19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. How does God meet our needs? Give us today our daily bread. How does he do that? Because he owns everything. It's all his. If you need any proof, go to a funeral. There are no U-Hauls being hauled behind hearses. There are no transfers being made from bank accounts to heaven. Everything that you have right now in material possession, money, shoes, clothes, houses, cars, will one day belong to somebody else. Everything. Which is why I've come to know this, that the most defining character trait of God is generosity. The most defining character trait of our God is generosity. It's impossible to follow Jesus, to want to be like Jesus and not be generous. He is a God who is rich in love. 
who is rich in mercy, who is rich in kindness. He has given us, and, and we can think about material blessings, but there is so much more that God has been generous to us in. His protection, his provision. God has taken care of us beyond what we could have ever asked, dreamed, or imagined. You know, next week, we've designated four Sundays throughout the year where every every penny giving in, in, in the 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 offering for that week goes to a special we have a, a fund that we call our legacy fund and it's where we're preparing for our second campus and second location and and i just want you to know that we're we're closer to that than we've ever been before and next week is one of those it's one of those chances that we get to give to something that's bigger than us to a cause that's greater than us and just so you know this, that, that a, a gift or an offering is above and beyond our tithe. The tithe is kind of the metric of what we should be giving. That's what generosity looks like. That's what makes ministry in the local church happen. If the church in America could just, just tithe, gosh, we could stamp out. We wouldn't need the government. We could take care of poverty on our own. Okay? So many of us have missed that. But an offering is above and beyond the tithe. And next week we have a chance to give towards the next place, the next step, towards making it even harder for people to go to hell in Stanley County. And as we give, the thing about when we're generous is it makes us look more like God. It reflects the nature of God more because God is a giver. God is a giver. That's who he is. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave. That's who God is. God gives. And too often when we think about what God gives, we think about material blessings. We, we think about the, the, the homes and, and the shoes and the kids and the people. But think about those medieval kings that gave portions of their kingdom away to nobles. There's a truth in there that with every gift comes other gifts that are often unseen. This is true with God. This is true with God. That with the gifts that we can see, there are gifts that we cannot see. And with gifts from God, often comes the unseen gift of authority. Authority. The easiest way to illustrate this is with your kids. You, you get this beautiful gift of a bundle of joy that you get to love on and you get to enjoy them, but you now actually have the authority over their lives, which means you have responsibility in their lives. That's why you end up wiping so many butts, changing so many diapers, right? Because it comes with, and the seen gift comes with an unseen gift. So I want to talk about today kingdom influence. Kingdom influence. What, what it means to influence the world in a positive way. But we have to first deal with the topic of authority. Because I need you to get this so that you can understand how we build influence. Number one, I want you to see this. Authority is given, not earned. 
Authority is given, not earned. Now, this is very different than our world's understanding of authority. We think that if we worked hard, if we've been, you know, if, if we've been, we deserve that. I deserve it. I deserve it. There, there's so many conversations that, that we have that are predicated with that. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. I'm entitled to. But that's not the way the Bible talks about this. Okay? Not at all. As a matter of fact, look at, look at what Jesus says in Matthew 28, verse 18. This is really important. He's about to give this edict of go into all the world and share the gospel and baptize people in the name of, teach them my, my commands. Does, right before that, he says, Jesus came to his disciples and told them, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, let me just pause here. This is immediately after he was crucified, executed, and rose from the dead. And he does not say, I have earned all authority. I deserve all authority. And unless you have been crucified, executed, and can raise yourself from the dead, you never need to stand somewhere and say, I deserve this authority. Jesus, even in that moment, after all of that, says, I have been given this. It's not something I earned or that I deserved. I have been given all authority. This is an idea that is represented all through Scripture. We see it again in Romans chapter 13, that everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority, all authority. Every single authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. They've been placed there by God. God is the one who gives authority. Authority is given, not earned. But number two, this is important, all authority comes with responsibility. All authority comes with responsibility. Now, we like to think about authority as power and power as privilege, but that's not the way the Bible talks about power and authority at all. It is not privilege. As a matter of fact, authority comes with great weight, great responsibility. The Bible talks about power in a very different way than the world does. The world thinks about power in this, you know, I want to use this power to serve myself. I'm going to use this power to manipulate the situation so that I'm taken care of. But the Bible talks about power in this I'm going to use my power to serve other people, to make sure that other people are taken care of, to give and give and give. That's, a, that's the paradigm present so much so that I would say that in the kingdom of God, power and authority are given to serve others. To serve others. To want something better for someone else than what you have to want to give to them, which is why I believe that 1 Peter 4.10 puts it this way. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, to serve one another as good stewards. There's that kingdom language again of God's varied grace. What you've been given, use it to serve each other because all authority comes with a responsibility. 
So what I've noticed about authority is this, number three in your notes, that authority used responsibly becomes influence. Authority used responsibly becomes influence. When we've been given authority in someone's lives and we're responsible with it, God opens a door to create a platform of influence for us in their lives. So let's talk about what it means to be kingdom influencers. How, how does this idea of influence work inside the kingdom of God? Again, I want to go back to this idea because this is very important. Number one is that influence is given by God to make a difference. Influence is given by God to make a difference. This is in direct opposition to some of our cultural understandings of our relationship with God. Many of us have heard, you know what, my relationship with God is just private. It's a private part of my life. You know, I just kind of, that's between me and God. It doesn't really impact anybody else. That is not a biblical understanding of your relationship with God. As a matter of fact, that's counter to what God wants for you. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus preaches this exceptionally long message called the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest recorded consecutive speech from Jesus. It's, it's amazing. Just the stuff that he says in that is so counterintuitive. Starts out with, Bless, blessed are the poor for they inherit the earth. I mean, like, what, what? This doesn't make any sense. Jesus, everything that you're saying is just flipping our understanding. And then he says this as he opens it up. You are the salt of the earth. You, as Christians, followers, believers in me. You're, if, if, if you get thrown into the recipe, everything should change. Everything should change because of you. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? No, it'll be thrown out and trampled because it's worthless. It's worth, there is no worth in salt that's not salty. You're supposed to be salty. So look at where he goes next. Look at this. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. In the same way, this is, this is where we see that, that precept of, like, it's just between me and God. Not, not so. Look at this. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see. For all to see. So that what will happen? Well, not, not people will praise you. Not people will give you credit. So that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. Our, our faith is designed to be public. To be shared. God has blessed you. God has given to you so that you can use that influence to make a difference. Look at it. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket instead of a lamp placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Here's what we know about light is that we can't light the light inside of our hearts. God can, which is why as parents, we want to stack the wood and get it really neat and dry so that it's easy for God to light the fire in the hearts of our kids. But here's the thing. If God's ignited your heart, why in the world would you hide it? 
Why? Why would you hide what God's showing you? Why would you hide what God's teaching you? Why would you hide what God's sharing with you? Why would you hide it? Why would you hide when God's healed you? Why would you hide when God provided for you? Why? Because it keeps God from showing himself to a world that needs to see him. The influence you've been given is to make a difference in the lives of other people. And here's what I know about influence. Influence grows with faithfulness. Influence grows with faithfulness. You may not feel like you're making a big difference now. But the question is when it feels small, how are you going to treat it? Oh, all of us love big opportunities. But you want to know where your heart's revealed? Is when it's small. When it seems insignificant. When it seems like this is never going to pay off. When it's the person that's opening the door, do you say thank you? When it's the waiter at the waitress or at the restaurant that's serving you, how do you treat them? How do you treat small people in your lives? Because here's what Jesus said. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. See, in that we see that God's desire is that you experience greater responsibility, that you gain greater influence. But what's connected to that is our capacity to be faithful with the little things because faithfulness grows our influence. And number three, if we miss this, we miss everything about influence. Influence used right is all about Jesus. Influence used right is all about Jesus. Now, some of y'all are thinking, oh, yeah. and you're talking about influence, and, and I only have like 40 friends on Facebook, and like 10 people follow me on Instagram, and I post a picture, and like one person likes it. It's my mom. That's it. That's all I get. Mom likes my picture. I don't feel like anybody even notices me. Do you have that person at work? that you talk to over lunch? And they tell you about you, what's going on in their lives. And when their mom's sick, they come and they say, hey, would you pray for me? Would you pray for my mom? Do you have that neighbor that you've grown to build a little bit of a relationship with? Maybe you're out getting the mail at the same time and they come over and they say, hey, could, could, could you pray? I just found out my my sister has a, a terminal disease. and I know you love Jesus. Could you pray? Last night I spent 30 minutes in my front my front yard with my neighbor, just just a neighbor, just someone that we've casually built a relationship with by saying hi in the front yard, talking about serious things in their lives. If you're a parent. 
Have you ever noticed that the total temperature of your kid's attitude and mood can change by how you talk to them? Oh, you have influence. You have more influence than you've ever seen. If you're a teacher, you have influence. If you're a coach, you have influence. If you're a supervisor, a manager, or a president of a business, you have influence. If you're a stay-at-home mom and you have kids, you have influence. I want you to know today, you have influence. And God has given you influence to make a difference in the lives of people. So what if everybody in this room, every, just the people in this room, not, not the people that are watching online, not the people who are going to watch this, just the people in this room, what if we could grasp the idea that we've been given influence to make a difference in the lives of other people? That the kingdom, Jesus didn't have a marketing plan. There was no Facebook, billboards, flyers, none of that. It was simply that in the first century, the church leveraged its influence to make a difference in the lives of the people that it was around. That was it. They gave. They didn't hold back because they really believed that people lived forever and that one day they would either go to hell or go to heaven. And that reality was so important that they leveraged their entire lives for it. What would happen if we realized that? That the influence that we have has been given to us so that we can make a difference. In the first century, it transformed the world. In his book, The Rise of Christianity, Historian Rodney Stark wrote this. Christianity served as a movement that arose in response to the misery, chaos, fear, and brutality of life in the first century. It revolutionized, revitalized life by providing a new set of norms. To cities filled with homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered community. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic tensions, Christianity offered a new basis for social equality. And to cities faced with epidemics, fire, and earthquakes, Christians offered themselves as nurses, for what they brought was not simply a movement, but a new way of life. I want you to understand today that you have influence. And that influence is there to make a difference. I'm, I'm going to continue this next week as we expand on the principles of the kingdom. But I'm going to give you a preview in the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke Jesus' ministry is beginning, and for the first time, he meets his new friend, Peter. And he comes up on Peter as people are crowding in to hear him teach. And Peter has just come in from fishing. He's washing his nets, which means that everything's over with. He's getting ready to leave. But Jesus asks him one simple question. Can I take that boat, and can I go out there into the shallow water and use it as a platform to teach these people from? See, what you think is a job 
is a platform. What you think is a chore is a platform. What you think is a task to be done is a platform. And God has given you a platform of influence to make a difference in the lives of people that are around you. The question is this, simple. Will you use the influence that you've been given to get your way or God's way? Will you use the influence that you've been given to get your way or God's way? Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.